0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Today we're looking at the fact that Satan seeks to destroy all that God creates. And by all, I mean even you and I. You see, God established a relationship with you. He established a relationship with you and myself because we are his greatest creation. He designed us to have a relationship with Him that includes a balance, a balance of work, of rest, of love, and of service. Balance in those areas will lead us to live a life that pleases God and also, most importantly, is beneficial to us. So we live the life that God has designed for us. Do you agree or disagree with the fact that God has got a way of life to live life? that is according to his word, That is the. this is the manufacturer's specifications on how we should live our life. And when we do that, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but it does mean we'll be living it the way God created us to live it. So, last week we explored the profound truth that we as human beings were made in the image of God. You see, this means we possess the remarkable capacity to have a real relationship with our God, with our Creator. It's, it floors me that to see and hear other, uh, other, not denominations, but other belief systems that are not based on God, that it's all built upon them doing things for God to earn His favor. But here, because the God of the Bible sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, so that we can have a true relationship with Him. But He has also entrusted us, God has entrusted us, me and you, With a purpose. What is that purpose? What is our purpose for life? To love God. To love others. And to be responsible for His creation. Yet despite all of our many imperfections and failed attempts, God's love for us remains constant and relentless. Would you agree that God's love for you is relentless? He's not going to give up on you. You may be here today and and you just... Are, are not, not feeling it today and you just want some encouragement. Let me tell you, God loves you relentlessly. There is nothing you can do, nothing you can do, no action you can do that will keep you from knowing the love of God other than rejecting it and saying no to it. God desires you. He sent Jesus Christ to redeem you, to have a relationship with him. And recognizing our identity as image bearers, God's image bearers, that gives us purpose. That gives us an ability to accept His love. But here's the thing. As great as it is, as God has created us in His image to have a relationship with Him, to have a balance in our life, to have the life that He has created for us, Satan does not like that. Satan does not like that because he was once the center of God's creation. We took his spot until his pride got him kicked out of heaven. Now his entire existence is based on one thing and one thing only. And that is hurting that which is most precious to God, which is you, my friend, and which is me. But here's the thing. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's really not a secret. It's a fact. Satan cannot create anything. You say, Oh, well, preacher, look at the drugs that are out here. Look at the different forms of sexual immorality. Look at all these things. Satan just created all of these temptations. No, Satan did not create any of them. He took God's ordained medicines, God's ordained plants, God's ordained relationships, God's ordained plan for sexuality, and twisted the mess out of it. Satan does not create. He only twists and distorts. What God has created. For example, a car is good because it can get you from places you need to go, but it can also kill you or someone else. Water is good, but too much of it, you'll drown. Clothes, clothes cleaner bags, you remember these. You go to the cleaner, you get your clothes, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to on these big plastic bags they put over your clothes, they would say, this is not a toy. You know, I don't, I don't understand. Hey kids, uh, we just got back from cleaners. Here's your toy. It's a bag. I guess somebody was just kind of wrapping their friends up with it and suffocating them or something. I don't know. But anyway, nine times out of ten, when some of those warnings are there, it's because something happened. Matter of fact, Forbes magazine had a list of 24 stunningly dumb warning labels. And so I'm going to read to you just a few here. Remember Nitol? You take NITOL at night to go to sleep. One of the warnings was it may cause drowsiness. Well, I hope so. Chainsaw. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. That means somebody, somewhere, bless their hearts. How about check the fuel lever? Not lever. Check the fuel level. It says... Never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level. Actually, when I was a kid in uh, like elementary school, there were stories that one guy did it. He, he came back and he was burned because he was trying to see if the gas can was full. And it was. Yeah. Like I said, these things are not something. Hey, let's just think of what somebody might do. People have done this, folks. Now here's one, sun shields. You know, you put them in the window so uh, the sun won't crack your uh, dashboard and your car will be cool. Do not drive with a sun shield in place. <laughs> now this one, uh, I, there's a reason for people, you can go out and you can buy Fox and Bobcat urine powder. I guess you do that to scare off other animals. It creates the illusion that fox and bobcats are present in your lawn or garden. And the warning is not for human consumption. My friend, if you're consuming that, you've got a whole host of problems. I love this one. On a Superman Halloween costume, it says, This costume does not enable flight or super strength. I can see it now. Hey y'all, watch this. I got a Superman outfit on. Let me go up to the top of the house and jump off and watch me fly. Somewhere somebody tried that. And this is probably one of my favorites for an iron. You know an iron for clothes? What do you think the warning label is for that? Do not iron clothes on the body. Somewhere along the way, oh, I got a wrinkle here. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I don't understand that. Well, Now that you know that these warnings are because someone somewhere had done these things, let me transition to this. God created everything. God created everything, period, with a specific design and a specific instruction to fulfill His purpose for them. Again, these are the manufacturer's specifications. And sometimes when we go outside of these, it's no worse than the man grabbing the chainsaw from the wrong end. Sometimes we live life and we make choices that are not right and we reap the consequences for it. But here's the thing. God has given us this beautiful word to tell us and to show us how to live. But again, Satan cannot destroy, but Satan seeks to destroy our rest. This is the first thing that we see. Satan Created everything with a specific design. And he seeks to... Dis- I mean, God created everything with a specific design. And Satan seeks to d- destroy our rest. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it, in them, was complete. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he what? He rested On the seventh day. Some translations say he ceased from all of his work. I think he deserved it, don't you? Creating everything, then taking a day off. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. He declared it the Sabbath because it was the day that he rested from all his work of creation. So, rest. God showed us that we need rest because he needed rest. Do the math. We are created in His image. He created us not to be Him, but to be resemble Him, to bear His image. And if God needs rest, don't you think we do also? Satan makes us busy by influencing us to have the wrong priorities. I have said it, you have said it, man, I just don't have enough hours in the day, I can't catch my breath. I got this going on, I just I feel like I'm not spinning my wheels, folks. We all get the same 24 hours in a day, 7 days a week. And it's not about the time that we are given, it is about the priorities that we have within that time. For many, the concept of rest is synonymous with weakness, and I don't know why. I'm not gonna rest. I got stuff to do. I'm, I gotta produce this, I gotta do that, I gotta make a decision on this, I gotta do that. Look, bragging about how much you get done in a day and how little sleep you get, that is not a badge of honor, my friends. It's showing that you're selfish. And you're depending on yourself to get your job and everything in your life done, and you're not trusting God enough to just rest. You see, if you don't want to rest, and you want to work, 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 you've got to be careful that it may just be building your ego. I don't know, how, this is how you know a good vacation. When you say, oh man, I've got to take a vacation, and you know, we'll just jump down here, we'll spend some time here, and then we'll go. And then you get to vacation, and you realize after the second or third day, man, I needed a vacation. Or you can just unplug. Some people cannot imagine that they would go anywhere without their sales, when there's no cell service. Remember one time Donna took me to Augusta. She didn't tell me where she was going. I thought I was going to end up in a duffel bag in a stream somewhere. <laughs> where are we going? I'm not telling you. And then we got about halfway to Augusta, and then my phone said no signal. Yeah, I'm dead. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, now, if I go somewhere and it says no signal, I'm like the Home Alone kid. Yes! Sometimes it just helps to unplug. But if Satan cannot get you through the, the typical sins of the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and all the big things that we think about, if he cannot get you through those temptations, he will make you so self-reliant and so self-driven that he will make you too busy for God. If Satan cannot make us sin, he will make us busy. Chris Kopp is a leader, and he's on the LinkedIn profile, and he kept noticing a bee that would come and fly around his window the same time every day. He had no idea what the job of that bee was, but that bee would just, while he was in his office at home, the bee would just come and and buzz by his window for a while and then just go home. Doing nothing, just buzzing by his window. And for months it had been expending all this valuable energy outside his window and then headed back to the hive, empty-legged, accomplishing nothing. That is Satan's goal for you, my friend. That is Satan's goal for you as an individual and as a church member and as a child of God. He wants you to be sidetracked. Satan wants to destroy your relationship and fellowship with God by making you so busy that you do not give him the priority and the time he deserves. Look, I am thankful. I I, I appreciate and I hope that it blesses you that you've carved out in your schedule a little bit of time this morning to hear God's Word talk. Thank you for doing that. That is for, it's not building my ego. It's for your benefit. But my friends, if this is all that you're getting, you're going to be running on empty by Tuesday. And you know it because it happens. You can become so busy that you don't even realize that you need God. And then that is the point Satan's got you. You see, spiritual growth is sacrificed on the altar of your pride and exhaustion. And burnout. And I never thought I'd say this, but sometimes burnout, if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes burnout can be God's gift. It's almost like in your car where you realize that the the, the fuel light comes on. Some of you say, I gotta get a, uh, I've gotta get to a gas station right now. Then some of you say, well I got 30 more miles. Then you end up on the side of the road. But burnout is that caution light saying, look, you're moving too fast, James. You're not including me in your life. You're going to burn out. You're, you're going to fizzle out. Here is the warning sign. And burnout does that for us spiritually. And so God established the Sabbath or the seventh day for rest. Folks, on the Sabbath day, spend time with those God has blessed you with. Your family and your church unplug from the grind and look to Him for strength. Jesus modeled it. How many times did He was teaching and He was healing and crowds would follow Him? And sometimes He would just have to get away. He would have to climb up to the top of a mountain just to get away from them so He could spend one-on-one time with His Father. Folks, if it's important to Jesus to spend time following God and spending time with Him alone, don't you think it's important to us? should be important to us. Second thing we see in verses 4 through 7 that Satan seeks to destroy our prominence. Did you know you were prominent? Did you know you were affluent? Did you know you had priority? You do. Look at verses 4 through 7. This is the encounter of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there was no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. So they didn't rain and get water; it came up from the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed. This is this is the the uh, the the I just want to shout when I read this, but underline it, know it, claim it. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. We are not valued apart from God, because apart from God, we are a lump of dust. But because God breathed his Ruach, his life, Into us makes us special. There's three significant facts from verse 7. The first thing is this. God alone created man. There was no mystical circumstances. There was no Big Bang. There was no evolution. It was just God created it. He spoke it into existence. Scientists can study the matter that makes up man. Did you know our bodies consist of 60 Six is zero. Sixty different elements, including oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, magnesium, and 40, 49 other elements. Boy, my chemistry teacher from college would have been so proud of me being able to pronounce those. That's what I got out of it. But folks, it was God alone that put everything together to form man. Look, it's funny. When, when Donna is making something at home, She's got her process, she's got her uh, appliances laid out, and she's got, And by the time she's finished, it's in the oven cooking, and all the dishes are clean. When I do it, it looks like a bomb has gone off. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there is stuff everywhere. But the thing is, is that you can have all the ingredients, but you've got to put it together. God put those ingredients together. Because, folks, every, de- every design demands a designer. Every watch demands a watchmaker. You did not get here by accident. You were created by God and God alone. Number two, God breathed His own breath of life into Adam. There's not much value to man when you think about the fact that we came from dust. You go home and you see dust in the corner, that's going to be you. That's all the value we have apart from God. What makes us valuable is the breath of life, God's breath that is breathed into us. You see, like uh, we know in CPR, rescue breathing or artificial ventilation of the lungs is a time when you, the body cannot breathe on its own. Or so someone or something has to breathe for them. Because that's how we get life. And one day, this breath of life that we are born with, as many are finding out, and some are even recently about to find out that at some point, that breath of life, God is going to take it back so we can be, our souls can be with Him. Just as a person or machine has to breathe for someone who cannot breathe on their own to sustain life, God breathed into you, into I. That next breath that you just took, that you took for granted, was a gift from God. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruah, meaning wind, breath, air, and spirit. So God's spirit joins with our physical bodies and eventually our heavenly bodies. It was God alone that put everything together to form man. God breathed his own breath into man. And then God's spirit joins with our physical bodies then eventually, our heavenly bodies. So I, I hear people talk a lot about, okay, when somebody dies, what happens? Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The Bible says that from basically from dust you came to dust, you will, you, will be, you will remain as dust. If you go back, not to be morbid, but if you go back to graves of people that have been dead for a long time, there's something called decomposition, and our bodies don't stay in the same shape. They've come a long way with embalming, but it really doesn't matter. Whether we are in a, a box, whether we are in a vase, whether we're in a hole, whether we're scattered all 40 different places, it doesn't matter. We're all going to decompose. We're all going to get back to dust. Our bodies are, but our spirits, our spirits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53, he says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We all We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. In that moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal body, so it doesn't matter what form your body is in when the Lord comes back. I mean, He created us from dust, so I think God can do whatever He wants. People say, well, what if somebody was part of a heinous crime? What if somebody was cremated? What if somebody was, you know, just on and on and on? God, when He creates, and when God, when He transforms, He does that fully. He regenerates us. So don't you worry about what form your loved one is and what you'll be in when you're gone. God can put it back together because he's God. Then also we see that uh, Satan seeks to make you oblivious to the hope because man became a living soul. He became a living person in verse 7. When we received God's breath, we became, I guess the term that AI is using today is called sentient a self-awareness. We became self-aware. We have souls. We have spirits. We know who we are. We, know, we have a propensity and a desire to know more about God. Whether we give in to that or not, that's a different story. But when we die, the Ruah breath of life, which is powering our souls, will return to him forever. So the body will be gone. Our souls will be with God third thing we see is Satan seeks to influence our choices. Satan seeks to influence our choices. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord God planted in a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruits. And in the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know where I'm going with this. There were two trees. And I, I made a crass uh, illustration of that. I think, Tristan, if you can put it up. There you go. Uh, my um, desktop publishing skills need some work. I understand that, but I think you can get it. There were two trees. And God gave instructions. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was to grant life or eternal life from all in the garden who ate from it. If you go and read ahead to Genesis 3.22, the tree of life was to sustain our eternal life in Eden. However, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this was not, I think for years, and many, many years actually, I would always think that this tree of knowledge of good and evil was for us to know good and evil. But that is not what... The knowledge of the tree of good and evil means. This tree was not for man to know good and evil. How do I know that? To know evil, you could eat from the tree of life and know what is good. What do I mean by that? Folks, you don't have to study evil to know it's evil. Right? You don't have to study evil to know it's evil when it happens. You know it's evil, but the way to know things that are evil is to spend your efforts studying and knowing things that are holy and that are good. I don't need to go to some sinful place to learn about sin. I need to study what it means to be holy and then that will be obvious. The tree was not for our knowledge. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was for God to test the good within and the evil within man. Why would, why would man choose or would man choose God's way or his or her own way? God wanted to know who they would choose. It was for his knowledge. And he knew what was going to happen, unfortunately. Then we see in verses 15 through 17, Satan seeks to destroy our work. Our work, uh, sometimes you could use the word obedience to God. Look at verse 15. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. except Hey, you can do, look, I've made this, I've provided for you, Adam. But look, there's this other tree. Verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Did He set them up, y'all? Did God set them up for failure? I think He, he, he laid out the rules pretty fairly. There was no, I wonder, well, are we sure about this? No, it was crystal clear. God gave them, look, eat from the tree of life, not from the tree of knowledge. Of good and evil. But what did the serpent do? We'll study that next week where he just started using that doubt. But God, why did God place Adam in the garden? It said there a minute ago, to tend it. Another way to say that is to work the garden. God has ordained work and service. I'll say that again. God has ordained work and service. When we go to heaven, we are not going to be angels hopping from cloud to cloud sipping my ties and looking at beaches. that going be awesome for a while, but when we're there, we are going to be serving. We are going to be working without the curse of sin. It's not going to be evil. It's not going to be hard. It's going to be acts of joy, kind of like a father or a mother making a craft for their kid for Christmas or a special project. We're going to be working out of love for God. You see, God has ordained work. Satan and the curse found in chapter 3 corrupts our view of work. From the way God intended it. And work in the garden was seen as a blessing, folks. But of this earth, due to the curse of sin, it is seen as labor and indebtedness. The reason it stinks to work. The reason uh, we have to struggle so hard to make a living is because of the curse of sin that happens in chapter 3. But when we go to heaven, that curse will be gone and we will work for God out of love. It's not going to be boring. We are going to tend the garden as God has created us to. So Jesus, what will happen in heaven and what happens even now that when Jesus comes into our life, He restores our work in obedience. Our our working is no longer for us to, to build ourselves, but it's for serving Jesus and serving others, and helping. Sometimes it's not important to be the boss. Sometimes it's just more important to be the worker. The world we live in sees being a helper as subservient or less than. But I think if you want to look at what Jesus thinks about it, you can go to Matthew 20, verses 26-28. He says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slaves. Verse 28 For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's Son, who sat at the right hand of God, humbled himself unto the cross to serve you and to serve me. So if it's good for Jesus, it should be good enough for me too. So man was placed in the garden where he could rest safely in God's presence. And man is blessed when we obey his commands. When we work or obey, they go hand in hand. Then we see that Satan just seeks to destroy our marriage. Satan just seeks to destroy our marriage, the institution of marriage. If you are married today, my friends, you have got a bullseye on your relationship. Or if you're thinking about getting married, you're on his radar. If you've been married, and your spouse is gone, and you're still on this earth, you know the struggle it was, but you also know the benefits of what it was, and you have got life lessons that our younger folks need to hear. Marriage is not perfect. Marriage is not like they show it in the movies. It's a commitment. It's like a roller coaster. Some days you're on the highest highs, and other days you're in the lowest lows, spinning around thinking you're about to lose your lunch. (laughs) It's work, but it's, it's worth it. Look at what it says in verse 18. Then the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. You realize this is the first time in Scripture God has said there is anything that was not good? The first thing he sees is he created Adam, and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. For the first time in creation, God saw that something wasn't good and God saw that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. So it says in verse 19, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them. Now, I wish I could have been there. Here's Adam. And all of a sudden, there is a line that looks like the, the return line after Christmas at Walmart. You know, you got all these people standing in line. There's all these animals. Okay. Deer. Snake. Dodo bird. (laughs) I don't don't know how that worked out, but it's kind of comical when you think about it. But yeah, that was Adam's job. And he made all of these wild animals and creatures. But still, there was no helper suitable for him. God made him a lot of pets, (laughs) but he was still needing something. So because of that, Eve was created to help Adam tend the garden. God gave her what Adam lacked so they could be complete together. If you ever come and talk to me about marriage or if you have couples that come and want to get married, I am going to go over this passage and talking about the importance of tending the garden. Verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took one, uh, took, out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Eve had a relationship with God before Adam. You see that? God brought her to Adam. I want you to hear this, women. You're not Adam's side piece. God created you and you alone for you as an individual he loves you, and he made you to help complete what man could not do. It's not a him or her. It's a package deal. That does not mean if you're not married that you're, you're less than. It just means that God has created you to fill specific voids, specific roles, and that when your time has come, it will. And if it doesn't, even Paul said it's blessed to be single if you can be single. But then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, as we said. Verse 23, at last, the man exclaimed. I think he said, whoa, man. Hey, I'll call her woman. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Or some translations say the two became one flesh. That's not talking just about... The physical act of, consu- of consummating a marriage. It's also talking about the fact that when you are married with somebody, you are no longer to be able to be that individual you were before you got married. And you try to tell me that the institution of marriage is not under the attack. It doesn't matter what our statutes and our laws say in state by state. At the end of the day. I mean, I'm not saying that there needs to be an insurrection, but I do know this: that one day, God's word will be true. Everything. Look at everything that has went to attack the role of the man, the woman, and God's plan for family. God's plan for marriage. It has all come under attack, and this world is disintegrating, because man thinks that they've got a better lock on it than what God created. It takes quite a, quite a. Um, conceited, self-righteous person to think that they know better than God does. So if you are married, been married, hope to get married. You better value what God says about marriage. You better not drink the Kool-Aid of what everybody else thinks it should be. Because if you want happiness, just like that guy that grabbed the chainsaw from the wrong end, if you think that you know better than what God does on how to have marriage, And how to find fulfillment in life, you will live a life unfulfilled. So let's wrap up our time today. Satan seeks to destroy all that God creates. Don't let him. Satan seeks to destroy our rest by making us too busy for God. Satan seeks to destroy our prominence by thinking that we are not good enough that God would even love us. That is a lie. John 8 44. The devil is the father of lies. Satan seeks to influence your choices. Satan seeks to destroy your work in obedience to God. And Satan seeks to destroy your marriage. Folks, you are under attack today. So, my friends, cling to God today more than you ever have. Because Satan seeks to destroy all that God creates, and he is not stopping until God stops him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us your grand design and and how we can find fulfillment in life, God. And it is my prayer that, Lord, if there's one person here today that would say, Pastor, I, I I am empty. I don't know this... This relationship with God that you're talking about and this special status that he's given us, I don't feel it, God. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am God's child. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have God's power to fend off Satan's attack in my life. And that's you today, you can come forward. I will pray with you. Or we can, we can talk afterwards. But don't leave this place today unless you have a relationship with Christ. And I venture to guess there are many Christians, believers in here today, they could tune up some of the things we covered this morning. They can come to the altar and pray. They can talk with me, whatever they want to do. Maybe someone wants to join this church or they want to be baptized. Whatever the decision may be at this time, it's a time for you, church, to respond. Because, my friends, if you cannot respond in a church with people that love you and love God, you have no hope of responding outside of these walls. God, may you get the glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.